Good morning, church. I am first and foremost a pastor, and I love the church. So I've only just become an an, uh, itinerant. See, I can't even say the word. So I'll give you a quick introduction because I I am a pastor and I do respect people's time. So the, the quick introduction is that this lady here joined with me in uh, 1974, and if you do your math, you'll know we've been married 49 years. And so, and so we are in our Jubilee, and we have called this the Jubilee Tour as we're in our forerunner traveling the country and uh, meeting folks just like you everywhere we go. Uh, we are church people to the core and have been in pastoral ministry. We were in pastoral ministry for 46 years. Um, two years ago, this month, we turned our church over to somebody probably not unknown to this house, Paul Martini. And so he leads our church, our old church, New Life City, that Gail and I planted in the year 2000. And uh, we're just stretching our wings and going around. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about the communion, all right? Like, wow, everybody's just like, oh, I can't wait. (laughs) But I understand that you do receive the communion weekly, and the word that's been going around in the the country is that that there's going to be a move of God surrounding the communion. I, I had not heard this. But uh, something happened to me when I left pastoral ministry. I started attending church. And when I started attending church, I noticed something that I noticed, and it was to my horror, that Jesus was not front and center in the churches. So listen, if you're a guest here, I'm not the pastor of this church, but I'll tell you what the church is. (laughs) Uh, He's already told you that his church is an acquired taste. That's why I want you to stay around for four weeks. Right, Pastor? Because it'll catch you after four weeks. I used to tell my people that hang with me because the preacher here is an acquired taste. So I'm sorry, you're not going to have time. Uh, Although I will preach a second sermon that will be different in the next service. uh, If you you go, that guy's crazy. But but he's kind of, he might be my kind of crazy. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to feed you like, like drinking through a fire hose because it's, it's just what I do. Um, but I love the church and love the communion uh, because in this interim, the Lord said, I said, why, why are these churches so obsessed with things that are not Jesus? Why are we preaching politics instead of Jesus? Why are we preaching psychology instead of Jesus? Why are we preaching economics instead of Jesus? What is wrong with us? And I think what is wrong with us is that we think our nation needs saving, but I'm here to tell you today that the church needs saving. And if the church gets saved enough, the world will notice and we'll be able to make a difference. So that's what I'm after. That's what I'm going for. And what the Lord led me to was the reason we're on so many other things and not focused on Jesus. He said, then come to my table. Because if the table is restored among the people of God, 
they're going to have to talk about why are we doing this thing? And if they talk about why are we doing this thing, we're going to talk about the living Jesus. Um, I know, by the way, I know enough about your church to know that, that you're well able to eat a hearty diet. And that's why we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig in. We're going to go from Passover to the Lord's Supper. And we're going to talk about the revelation of Jesus. Is this thing going to come up? There it is. We're going to talk about the revelation of Jesus, how he was known to his disciples. You got to know Jesus. And here's the thing. The disciples of Jesus knew him, but then when he was crucified, they couldn't figure it out. And they couldn't figure it out so much that when he was, when he was raised from the dead, they, they couldn't know him Watch this, through the empirical senses. The Jesus that came out of the grave was unknowable to them until he revealed himself. And so we're going to talk about how, how he revealed himself. Uh, Jesus cannot be known apart from the spirit of revelation. You can have information, but you don't know him. So if you're a guest here today, that's all I got to talk about is Jesus and how to know him and that it's strange. His ways are very, very strange. And we're going to talk about the Passover lamb. Why did the followers of Jesus experience his martyrdom and preach it as a sacrifice? Did you get that? When you want to cause a revolution, you know what you need? Sorry, you need a few martyrs because martyrs rally people to the cause. But the Christians did not go about preaching Jesus as a martyred death. They preached it as the intentional will of God. They didn't know this at first, but that's how it came to be. And I say, well, how did this happen? Some of how it happened is actually in the details of the, of the curiosity of it. So here we are. It says in Luke chapter 22, and when the hour came, what hour? The hour to celebrate the Passover meal. He reclined at table and his apostles with him. He said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. Would you say a cup? A cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. Strange talk. It's Passover time. He's having the meal with them. And he tells them that this bread and this cup won't, I won't celebrate. I will not have another Passover until the kingdom comes. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. And he took, and he took bread. And when he had given thanks... Eucharisteo, the word for Eucharist. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. Say the cup. The cup. And after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here's a question. Got several questions in this sermon. 
Why does he mention two cups? Did you notice that? When, when you study the Lord's Supper, like we just took a cup. But Jesus, when he, when he administered it, there was a cup, there was the bread, there was another cup. Some of you will know the secret answer to that. Anybody know that, the answer to that really quickly? It was a Passover Seder. In the Passover Seder, there are four cups of wine. I see this didn't, didn't translate like it should have, so I'll read it to you. Here's what happens. You, you mix the first cup. Now, you, you understand this. It's a Passover Seder. He said, I'm going to eat this Passover with you. And then they go to a Passover. If you ever go to a Passover, it's a, it's a meal in four courses. Those four courses surround four cups. So what I'm suggesting to you, what I'm not suggesting, I'm telling you plainly, is that he was having a Passover Seder with his disciples. And he did this thing with it. This thing he did, let me just see what it does. Okay, it's, it's only going to give you a little bit. He mixed the first cup, which we didn't read about. It's called the Kiddush, where the, you have the bitter cups. It's called the cup of sanctification. Having, don't, since you don't have a slide, I'll spare you all these details, and I'll just tell you. The, the cups that we saw, we can learn from comparing other scriptures to scripture and from the titles of how these things worked out. Or those two cups were the second cup and the third cup. The second cup is the Haggadah. That's when you tell the Passover story. And you just tell, you tell your story. Everybody has a story. And this is why when I told you folks coming in, we are not people of the political story. We're not the psychological story. We're not the economic story. We are the kingdom story. And our kingdom story has a king, and that king is Jesus. And all of our story is that that king Jesus came to deal with our problems, the psychological problem, the economic problem, the political problem, the relational problem, the sin problem. He came to deal with our problems. We don't have any solutions. All of those other narratives are t narratives that say, we can save you if you'll just do this. And our narrative is that Christ can save you if you call upon his name. Well, that salvation story came from the Passover. Because at the Passover, the children of Israel, at the actual Passover, they were in slavery. And God said, tell you what. Get a lamb for the Passover. Sacrifice its blood out of it. Roast of the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb. Paint the doorposts of your house. Consume this lamb, all of it. Can't be a gimpy lamb. It can't be a lamb that has, that has any flaws in it. It has to be a flawless lamb. And then when you have done that, you got to gird up your loins and gather your stuff. You're going out in haste. We're going out of our slavery. We're going through the Red Sea. We're going to, we're going to be delivered from the Passover where the angel of death is coming to the houses of Egypt and we're going to be saved. And so Israel was a salvation story from slavery. This was their whole story. And Jesus is re-celebrating the story of their deliverance from slavery. You with me? All right. Then there, 
Then they're going to come out. And what we have in front of us is Jesus inaugurating a new Passover and a new story. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now that was Paul writing after these events, and he no longer, and now he sees Christ himself as the Passover lamb. Well, it was this supper where this, this whole thing was instituted. It was this supper where it was introduced to them. The third cup is the cup of blessing. That's the cup that, that we saw when Jesus took the third cup. That's when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now what he was doing when he said that, and they would have understood it, was all the prophets had been prophesying the day when God would come and bring a new covenant. And here's Jesus saying, this is the new covenant. And it's made in my blood. And then he said this strange thing to them. You have to understand how strange it was. He said, drink it. I just want you to know, no Jew ate their meat medium rare. No Jew ingested blood. They understood that the life was in the blood and that you don't receive the life of animals. And here comes Jesus and he says, well, here's a cup. It's wine, but it's my blood. Drink it. Now, these disciples have been with Jesus for three years, and, and, and they've been through many tests, and they've been confused many times. By now, they're like, I'm drinking it. <laughs> you understand? Like, I'm telling you, they were so far in that now they're in. Now they're going to do something they've never done. They're going to receive a cup and they're going to drink it as if it is blood. Matthew 26. I'll go here. And he took a cup. This is Matthew's version of the same thing. There's a reason I'm giving it to you. He makes the same vow. And then the last few words of that sentence. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, so when I was in a Baptist church, we just knew this verse. And so what we would do is we'd take the Lord's Supper and then we'd sing how great there are or what shall wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then we'd go out. That was, that was how we would do it. But they actually sang the great Hallel. The great Hallel was, um, was from the Psalms. They sang, they sang Psalm 115 to 118. And then they would drink the fourth cup. Now, scholars noticed something about this. Like, did they go out that day without finishing, oh, there's that word, the Passover liturgy? Y'all know what liturgy is? It's, let's, let's say ritual. Liturgy is the order of service. So, so if somebody new comes in, I don't know your order of service, I'm, I have to ask the pastor, lest I create a bad manner thing, which guests have bad manners all the time because we don't know the manners of the house. Where Jesus comes here, and listen, I want you to know something. He's already wrecked the liturgy. I mean, he took bread, and he said, this is my body. 
he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. And they're like, that's not in the ritual. But they're doing it anyway. Because it's Jesus. The mystery of Jesus is so fascinating, isn't he? He's so wonderful. And if we would just present Jesus in his wonder and glory and quit trying to reform people and reform the world, but proclaim the one who transforms the soul, oh, we'd go, we'd, we'd do better. Oh, I want the church to stop being associated with partisan politics and be associated with kingdom theology. Maybe a hint of an amen would have helped. <laughs> One theologian says, by the, so, so, so you understand Jesus messed it all up. He just messed it all up. It was terrible. I mean, I'm going to suggest to you there's no mention of even a lamb. He said, here's the bread. It's my body. I would suggest to you that I think in his Passover, he says, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover. Now, what he does is he reorders the Passover around himself. And if that bothers you, you should understand he had already reordered a whole lot of things around himself. He had already reordered Sabbath around himself and reordered temple around himself. He had called 12 disciples and reordered Israel around himself. He had been redefining everything that was in their life all the times that he'd been on this earth. And now at the end, he takes their highest, holiest celebration, the Passover, the thing that every year defines them as a people, and he's going to give you a new definition. Because Jesus came to bring a new exodus. The exodus, not from the slavery of Egypt, but from the slavery of our own twisted hearts and lives. Past, uh, Professor William Lane, in his Gospel of Mark, he writes, the cup from which Jesus abstained was the fourth cup, which ordinarily concluded the Passover fellowship. Jesus had used the third cup associated with the promise of redemption to refer to his atoning death on behalf of the elect community. The cup which he refused was the cup of consummation. This is a theologian saying, yes, we suspect that Jesus ended the Passover experience by omitting the conclusion. You know, he prayed and never said amen. He just walked off. I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning. I think this was on purpose. I think Jesus kicked the end of the Passover down the road. Why? Because frankly, he had begun the Passover meal at a time when they didn't have it. And if he's going to be the Passover sacrifice, which he knew but they did not know, then the Passover could not be over. The Passover meal could not be over until Jesus had accomplished what he came to do. Now, people say, I don't know about that fourth cup thing. I don't know about that. That's, that's strange. And I know it's strange because, you know, I'd never heard it preached before till I preached it. <laughs> but I didn't make it up. 
I'll be like the preacher who said, I've got the receipts. I can show you the research where I got it from. Just because it had not preached, been preached in the circles where I was didn't mean it hadn't been known by people down through the years. And so I was just in agony saying, what's wrong with the church? Help me be part of the solution of what's wrong with the church even after I gave up my church. Help me, Lord. Pressing in... I came to this text. This is Luke, same gospel. Most of my texts have been in Luke. Now Luke 22, 39, same chapter. He went out as was his custom in the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he, he said to them, pray that you don't enter temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down to pray saying, Father, if, it's your will, if you're willing, remove this cup, this cup of consummation from me. Yes, I'm suggesting Jesus was very well aware of what he had done. And when he went out to the place to pray, his disciples learned what he had done by eavesdropping on his prayer. Somebody heard it. So Jesus leaves a cup on the table, goes into the place of prayer, and prays about a cup. It's kind of a clue. Does John solve this for us? So just so you know, I mean, he goes out, and when he goes out, and, and they, he goes to trial, and he's beaten, and then he's going to the cross, and as he's going to the cross, you know what they offered him? I think three of the Gospels tell us they offered him wine mixed with gall, which was a, a narcotic-filled wine. And as soon as he tasted it and realized what it was, he, nope, he wouldn't drink it. That was not what he came to drink. Remember Jesus when he says, I, I can't chase that rabbit. I don't have the time. John 19, 28, after this, after what? Well, I picked up in John when Jesus was hanging on the cross when he had gone from the sixth hour, noon, to the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, hanging on the cross in utter darkness. Oh, how I wish I could preach to you about the darkness of Golgotha today, but I shan't. Emerging from the darkness at three, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, the cry of dereliction. And after that, he said, I thirst. A bowl full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the wine, he said, Tetelestai. It is consummated. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. What did that do? Number one, it symbolically actually finished the Passover celebration. Number two, it tied his death to the Passover lamb. Because they, remember, they took the sponge 
They lifted it up on a hyssop branch. The hyssop branch is the branch that was used to paint the doorpost with the blood of the lamb so that they could pass through the doors. And now, and now he takes the, the, blood, the sponge, drinks it off the hyssop branch and says, I've, come, I've done what I came to do. The disciples could now say, Jesus' life was not taken from him by a Roman execution, but in his last words, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he breathed his last. He surrendered his life of his own volition, which was the way he went to the cross, and now it's the way he ends the thing. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Are you with me? Are you following me? Sometimes at my church, they used to say, preacher, you're preaching over our heads. And I would say, stand up. (laughs) It's time for the church to grow up and be a mighty church. It's time for the church to be so enthralled with the revelation of Christ that we're done with the revelation of conspiracy theories. It's time for us to be so swept away by the power of his beauty and his glory that all we can do is worship. And that we can truly receive enough of him to have our lives transformed. I come to this place to gather with people, the people of God because even as an old man, I'm seeking the transformation of my soul the transformation of my life. I'm seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm seeking to be that person who can be like Paul and say, I've come to fill up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ so that if need be, I might know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, that a church would have that branded, seared into our hearts. In chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus has now risen from the dead. He's walking on the road to Emmaus and he joins two followers. One of them is a person named Clopas. If you follow about Clopas, you'll learn that uh, there was a man named Clopas whose wife Mary was one of the women that was at the cross. And perhaps the other traveler was Clopas and perhaps his wife. There's one church tradition that actually says it was Luke. I quite like the idea, but I can't verify it or validate it. But these two disciples, they're walking along. It's the third day. Jesus had told them he would rise on the third day. A stranger walks up. He starts to talk to them. And they look at him and say, are you the only person around here who doesn't know what's going on? He's like, tell me. And they do. And their, their words are with agony, with fainting hope. He had said, and it's now the third day. And I'm kind of like, wait a minute, you guys are leaving town already? And and the third day's not over yet? Their hope was gone. But listen, the one standing before them is Jesus himself, and they can't recognize him. You just think about that for a minute. They don't know him. They can't see him. Their eyes won't open. The The one that... One of the apostles says, our eyes have seen, our hands have held. And Jesus finally speaks to them, oh foolish ones and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should 
suffer these things and enter his glory? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that text of scripture has possessed my mind for 25 years. As I wanted to say, oh, how I wish I had every understanding of that, that I could have the revelation of Christ and give that revelation away. Why? Because when they got that revelation, something happened to them. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, I love this about Jesus, he acted as if he were going farther. You know, he did trickeration on them. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's toward evening. The day is far spent. So he went in to stay with him. By now, it's evening and the third day is completely past. They've entered into the evening of the fourth day. Now listen to what it says. He was at table with him. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. If you go back just two chapters, it says, it says he took the bread. didn't say he blessed it. Eulogeo, it says he gave thanks. Eucharisteo. But still, it's a fourfold pattern. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And then something happened. Something happened. Suddenly they knew him. They knew him. They knew him, church. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you didn't take it and know him, take it again. And again, and again, and again, until he opens your eyes. Listen. I hear preachers all the time. I, I heard it in, I hear them all the time say, give a shout. We give a shout. Do this, we do that. We do this other thing, we do this because we think we're going to have the encounter. Pray this prayer, we pray the prayer. And get hands laid on us, we get hands laid on us. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And through this tangible thing, this offensive act, I'll reveal myself to you. And I will become one with you. When he did this, listen to what it says. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then this crazy word, they vanished, he vanished out of their sight. I think there's a prophetic act in that because I think Jesus was here. Listen, it's not Passover. You know, you know what Passover is not till next year. It's just a few days after he had celebrated this thing. And here he is. He gives them this new thing which they, they soon learn to do as often as they meet, actually. Why? Because somehow God said, in the tangible, I'll meet you in the spiritual. I'll encounter you. He wants to be one with us. And their eyes were opened. There's only one, there is one little side path, and it'll take me 30 seconds, but it has to be known. It says, and their eyes were opened. Well, where do we read something like that before? It's here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that it was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband and he ate and the eyes of them both were opened. And so in a moment, their eyes are opened to shame and nakedness and despair 
the glory was gone and they were exposed. And they sewed leaves together and made for themselves covering. When Jesus broke bread at Clopas' house, he reversed it. He opened their eyes. They were no longer naked. They were no longer ashamed. They were no longer afraid. They were no longer imperiled by the fragility of life. Last text. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us in the road? And while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose the same hour and they went to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 of those who were gathered together. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed. That's that old traditional statement. If you come from the high church tradition, the minister comes in and he says, Christ is risen. And the church says, it comes right here and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road. And listen, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Are you kidding me? We can read those words and not run to the table and say, run there and meet him. Now listen, here's my word for your church. Say, well, is, well, we need a practical application. Good, I'm giving you one. Restore the table at your home. The common table where father and mother preside over a meal where the, where the blessing is spoken, where the giving of thanks is spoken, where we break bread with one another and we look each other in the eye and we take our time and the electronics are gone and the noise is off and the window shades are down so we can't be disturbed and we're face to face and eye to eye and heart to heart and we're becoming one with each other as a family because the original Passover meal was a common meal and the meal that Jesus sat down to with those disciples at Clopas' house was a common meal. Restore the table at your house and be saved. And then you've already done it. Restore the table at the church so that every time you meet, you say, why did we come here? We came running to him, to his table, to his presence, to his person. We came because we're hungry. We came because we're thirsty. We came because our hearts are burning. And if you don't have those experiences, then you rend yourself until you do. How do you make yourself hungry? Eat. How do you build up your desire for physical exertion? Physical exertion. Practice it. Restore the table in your home. Restore the table of the Lord. Get your eyes open. Experience union with him. In the next service, I'm going to tell you how union with Christ is transformative for the things we're facing in the world. And oh, the monsters that are arrayed against us. But he is greater than them all. Would you stand together? Would you stand? Hallelujah, Pastor. I know you have a word, but I'd like to bless your people.
If you need prayer, you're, you already know. You can, you can go to the prayer room. If you also need prayer, I'll linger. My wife will linger. We'd love to pray for you. We'd be happy to pray for you. We love to pray for um, marriages and relationships. And now may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. And the Lord, may the Lord make his face shine on you and great, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom, shalom. We thank you for watching with us. At Praise, our mission is to inspire, challenge, and transform people for generations to come. And we hope today's message can do just that. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about Praise, email us at info at praiseyork.com. If you'd like to support Praise financially, you can visit praiseyork.com slash give. To stay up to date with sermons, events, and changes at Praise, make sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel.